and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Father, I want to thank you for these people and for your word, just for the chance to gather with them and to sing uh, praises to you, to turn our eyes to you, uh, to seek to listen to you, to seek to be led uh, by you. I pray that maybe that something that we, we say or do today would kind of break us from the Christmas malaise and would help us to see what you have done, who you are, and to reflect on you just a little bit more uh, this Christmas season. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I was thinking about as I entered into this and thinking about the way that John described uh, Jesus' coming is a little bit different. And I thought, you know, there's, there's ways that I've heard people encounter Jesus and express the way they encountered Jesus. And one, the one that came to my head immediately um, obviously, if you know me, was from a rapper uh, named Manchild. So he, uh, there's, there's this line in a, in a song, Heaven Scrapes the Pavement, and, and he kind of, he starts out with this. He says, in 1993, I saw something in the concrete. I'd been walking in a world that really didn't want me. But what I saw, what I seen, what I felt, what I looked at, left me shook visibly, but I took what was given me. Brushed by angels' wings, it ushered in a change in me, saw Christ on the cross, and I realized what pain should be. I ain't delusional, but man, how beautiful. I take it and relate it to y'all and make it musical. And that, I, I was interested in that when I heard it, and I wanted to know, like, what, what happened? Like, what was his moment? What was he talking about? Was he at, like, some kind of, was this a church event? Was this somewhere else? Where was this guy when, when he had this encounter with Jesus that he described as heaven scraping the pavement? And I have a story. I've, I've told it here before about when I was 17 years old in a hotel room, again, not surprisingly, watching Boys in the Hood. Um, and I, I know I've grown out of my you know, former thug self, um, but, but I, at the time, Jared's saying, no, you haven't. Wow. Thanks, Jared. I, I think that's encouraging. Um, but at the time, I was, uh, I was kind of in a dark place, and I was sitting with this guy, Tony, uh, in a hotel room. We were actually at a church event, and we put uh, Boys in the Hood on, on like pay-per-view or whatever in the hotel room, which is exactly what our chaperones were, uh, were hoping for, I'm sure. Um, and, I, and I started having these dark thoughts, like, and, and one of them very specifically was, if I died, nobody would care. And it was just a clear thought that I had, and I was... And it's something in me clicked where I thought, this isn't good. Like, if I'm thinking this, this isn't good. And I probably said the most honest prayer of my life, where I just, sitting there on the hotel floor next to my bed, I just said, God, I think I need help. If there's, if there's anything you can do, I think I need help. Now, Jesus' disciple John here has this incredible story that he's launching into and he explains it in kind of an engaging way, kind of an artistic way. He, he talks about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It's a, it kind of evokes the idea in the original language 
of someone coming and pitching their tent among everybody else's tents. Um, the word became flesh, kind of in the, in the original language evokes that idea. And we've only read the opening lines of the story, but you could sit down, and, and I would recommend this, maybe over Christmas break, just sit down and read John's whole story. It'll take you two hours. Just, just read everything uh, that he had to say, and just, just listen to the way that he describes this word that becomes flesh, and how he ends with uh, doubting Thomas numerous times. He's the one who talks about the doubter over and over again. And so if you're kind of like that and you're not too sure about all this stuff, um, his story is a good one to read. But these opening lines are where he got people interested. And he was, he was writing to a skeptical culture. He was writing to the, the, the kind of eastern segment of the Roman Empire, the, what they called uh, the, the area of Asia, the Roman province of Asia. And these people were, were different. They, they were not, they didn't have the presuppositions of Christianity at all, um, and he was writing to them, making an appeal to them. And so we who live in such a culture could probably take some notes. We, we here at Mission Church, what we really want is we want this group of people who we're talking to right here to take the gospel out and, in Manchild's words, make it beautiful to people who don't know about it. So take note of how John does that for these people in the Roman province of Asia. Tonight, I want to talk about what Christmas means, why we need it, and how to celebrate. And we'll start with uh, what Christmas means. And I'm pulling this all from John 1. Number one, Christmas means that God is the wisdom that fills the universe. Um, Number two, God came to us in person. Number three, God lived like us for a while, 33 years or so. And then God piles grace upon us because he lived with us. Let me give you little explanations of those, and we'll go a little deeper into a couple of them. God is the wisdom that fills the universe. This, um, this passage calls Jesus the Word. And that's an interesting thing. If you've grown up around church, you might think like the Bible, like the Word became flesh. But that's not what he was getting at. Um, the word logos, which is behind that word, word, is, is a pretty complex idea, but it's basically wisdom and logic. It's like the wisdom and logic that existed outside of the universe that was there at creation came down and became flesh. And this was written to Greeks who valued wisdom and logic. And they valued the individual person. In our society, Western civilization was born from theirs. And so John proclaimed the logos, that the word, the wisdom and the logic of God became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us in person. The word became flesh. That means that this ultimate logic and wisdom is outside of us and bigger than us, but it's also able to be personal. And it's not just, you know, something we have to look for. It can find us and call for us. God lived like like us for a while. He dwelt among us. Like I said, it has this idea of like pitching his tent among us. He moved his RV into the mobile home park down the street. John Perkins and uh, Eugene Peterson both use this, this phrase that he moved into the neighborhood. Like that's kind of getting at the idea of what this passage is saying, that he moved into the neighborhood and he stayed for a very long time. He didn't just appear 
and give us an oracle. He moved in and he stayed for his entire life. He grew up. Um, I, I mentioned last time I preached that he saw his parents' issues. I mean, that's something that like so many of us, if we really dig down into our stories, there's like our parents' issues. Well, Jesus did that. We watched the Nativity Story movie the other day at small group. And one of the missing elements I thought is like Joseph and Mary were traveling all the way you know, from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I was like, come on. You know, in all these situations, it's like they're going through a river, people are falling off the cliff. Like, come on, they would get a little more impatient. Like, I, they weren't divine, right? And Jesus had to see all that. He had to be a kid. He had to be a teenager. He grew up around religious people. A lot of us deal with that kind of garbage, like the, the junk that comes with, like, the way religious people, like me, treat us, Right? And uh, he had to do that. He grew up in the temple. He grew up around this stuff. He had a job. I talked a couple weeks ago how it wasn't like the glorious carpenter job that, you know, I always, I have a wood shop. And so people always give me the like, you're like Jesus talk, you know. They go, oh, you have a beard and you have a wood shop, you know. It's like, yeah, we make high-end furniture. Jesus probably worked, probably worked for the Romans. It probably wasn't a great job. He became a leader. He had to deal with the temptations that leadership brings, the temptations of success. He had to deal with being misunderstood and rejected on a large scale um, by thousands of people. Uh, He was treated unjustly. He suffered under false accusation. He was sentenced to capital punishment. He was killed. He was buried. And then the end of John's story, and you remember John opens up his book by saying, the word became flesh, the logos, the wisdom of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And the end of John's story, he he spends a good amount of time, including this time with Doubting Thomas, showing Jesus living with them after he rose from the dead. John spends a decent amount of time saying part of the time that the word who became flesh and dwelt among us was with us, He was resurrected. We saw a glorified Christ. And that's an incredible thing. That's kind of hard to wrap my mind around. It seems kind of impossible, which is what makes it so important to consider. Because if this Jesus was just somebody who came down and was just a normal guy who did possible things, then he's just another interesting person. But if he did impossible things, we need to pay attention because he might be who John said he is. Finally, Christmas means that God, like I said earlier, he piles grace upon us because he lived with us. And and John says in, in the scripture that we read, from his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. And what I think that means is that God didn't just become a gracious God when Jesus came. Grace is when you get something you don't deserve. So every good gift from God is grace. Every single one of them. So you know what that means? That means the Old Testament, when they were, when Adam and Eve were pushed out of the garden but weren't demanded their lives, that was grace. When the fathers of the early families could make a sacrifice to cover over the sins of their family, that was grace. 
when God delivered his words for people so they could know his character and they could know how to be reconciled to him. They could have mediators between them and God who would offer sacrifices and bring them near. That was grace. But now Jesus has brought so much more grace that he layers on top of all of that grace that the previous grace seems eclipsed and overwhelmed. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. Why do we need it? We need wisdom from outside of ourselves. Um, We can look back on this time a couple thousand years ago when Jesus reportedly was born in a stable, and we can think that was a totally different time. Things were so different back then. You know, they they had emperor worship, new philosophies that were self-focused, sexual expression, unlike today. Right? Unlike today. Oh, wait. It's the same kind of stuff. We may not bow to the emperor today, but if we were to inventory, if you were to inventory, who gets the most attention in your life? Influencers, authors, politicians, athletes, musicians, you name it, or the Lord Almighty, who do we listen to the most? Who gets the most of our devotion? Who do we worship? You might say today we, we, just, we distrust leaders. Look, we just uh, impeached a president, right? Don't we? We don't trust leaders. But why was that such an important event for, for so many people? Why is it? Why are we so angry or anxious on either side of this issue? Because if a man like this is in office, everything's going to crumble. Or if a man like this gets removed from office, everything he's going to do or did is going to crumble. We put a lot of stock in people and what they can accomplish, either for good or for evil. What do we worship? Our children's children's children will look back on us like we look back on these people thousands of years ago, and they'll ask what we valued the most and what we worshiped. And when they dig through the files in our computers, when they dig through our stuff, what did we worship? The ancient Greeks to whom John wrote his letter loved wisdom, and and the great philosophers Um, And philosophers are just wisdom lovers. That's what the word means. And they place this great emphasis on the self and and the quest for truth. And their ideas are full grown in us. Like I said, we are Western civilization. This is where it, it all ended up, except we've taken this knowledge and we've taken this quest for wisdom and we've begun to crack some doors open, which is interesting. A guy came into my store the other day and was talking about... um, something that I'd heard from a buddy who's in farming, actually. And so we kind of got onto this topic, and that's how plants can uh, communicate through underground networks. Did you know this? Did you know that, like, if, if the, a tree on one end of a forest is getting attacked by a parasite, through underground networks, it can communicate with the other tree? And uh, plants that are being eaten by cows can communicate so that they start to put off, like, a, a foul odor after a certain amount of time, so that the cows stop eating them all, so that they survive. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's incredible stuff. And um, so he sent me this podcast. He's like, oh, I'm going to send you this podcast all about it. And we were kind of nerding out on that for a while. And he sent me this podcast, and it's a, 
on the podcast, there's a lawyer and a doctor um, talking, a former lawyer and a current doctor. And they, they talked about the trees, and they talked about how animals can communicate, and they talked a lot about death um, and how we should face death and how we should face pain. There was some really interesting stuff. Um, interestingly, they were talking at an event that was like a retreat, and I realized what it would be like for a, somebody to listen to a Christian podcast. Um, like, because this was like, they, they weren't Christians. This was just like a healing retreat they were on. And I was like, oh, that's what it'd be like if, I, if like somebody showed up to one of our events. That would be a little strange. But they were saying some stuff that was really interesting. And one of the things, all of a sudden it came up with this doctor is he started talking about near-death experiences and how a lot of people want to stay in their near-death experience, and they don't want to come back. And he started talking about how there's, there's more out there. He started talking about how there are black holes, and they've discovered that black holes, that there's information that passes through one black hole to another. I don't know anything about this, so you can go look it up. But at some point, he referenced, he's like, there's more out there. Like, when you die, like, there's, there's something better out there. He just couldn't figure out what it is, right? Look, whatever we make of discussions like that, the truth is, science, quantum mechanics, the science of the cell, like, we've broken open the fact that wisdom is shared and communicated in realms that we have no access to. Decades ago, talk like that would have been nuts. Seriously, in all circles, nuts. Today, lawyers and doctors who aren't religious are talking about it and just going, yeah, absolutely, totally. 2,000 years ago, John said the wisdom, the logos, the logic took on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And for years, culturally, we've disbelieved that that was possible. But today, we know it's not impossible. It's hard to understand. It's difficult to verify, but it's possible. Now, why do we need a person? I've said we need this wisdom, and I'm saying because we're discovering something's out there, but we don't, we don't know what it is. Why do we need a person. John said that the wisdom of the universe came as a person. Why do we need that to be true? Humanity can't shake, I would say, the idea that we might come from someone. Not just somewhere or something, but someone. And I, I say this for several reasons. One is the cracks in the faith of my atheistic friends. Um, when I, when I talk to people who don't believe in God and we come to something really dark or really hard, they will be angry at someone. Um, when something really devastating happens, when there's someone special dies or something terrible happens, they will be angry or longing or hoping, not just for a fact, but for someone. And so we're persistently wondering if there's a way to find 
that someone, a way to see and understand God. Spirituality, many of you probably keyed in on this, is on the rise. There's more spiritual interest than there's been a long time, whether it's meditation. I don't know how many times, like, in my last year, I've bumped into tarot cards in public. Like, that wasn't something. Are you seeing this? Like, coffee shops, like, hey, would you like to have a tarot card? Like, what? I've never, nobody's ever presented me with a tarot card until this year. Um, you know, getting centered, like hybrid religions, like kind of taking the, like the best parts of religions and putting them together. Um, humanistic churches, this is a thing, you know, that's, that's happening. They're, um, the first, I think, uh, chaplaincy for humanists has been uh, opened up not too long ago. And retreats, like I was uh, talking about on this podcast, where you could, you know, they were, they were talking about spirit animals and stuff. I mean, they really, they, like, one of them embodied a buffalo, they said. And, I mean, this is like, I said, lawyers and doctors. Are like, this is, this is a thing. And the major religions, too, especially Islam. The, the fastest growing religion is Islam. And you know why? There's a couple reasons. They have kids. They have lots of kids. It's true. And then they, but they're strict. And people want, like, bumpers, People want to know, what can I do? What can I not do? And, and uh, when people have studied Christianity, our, the door out the back is so easy, which is, I think, says something about grace. But it's like, you're not, you're not, you don't have to stay. You can come in. You can come out. It's no problem. And so people switch and leave, but people don't leave Islam. When they join Islam, they hold tight. But spirituality is on the rise. And by and large, all of these that I mentioned, the meditation, the tarot, the centering, the, the hybrids, the humanism, it's a quest to find God. Even if it's yourself, even if you and, and your true self are God, it's a quest to find God. And the trouble is, as we technically know, we aren't merely products of ourselves. We carry the biology and biases of our ancestors. Inherited sins, we might call it. Our experiences, our culture. In many, other, in many religious circles such as ours, we would say we bear the influence of a spiritual enemy. And we can't just find ourselves. We need others to help us. I think it's, uh, it's cool, it's a good thing, that we're no longer ashamed of therapy. Have you guys have you noticed this? Like, our parents' generation, you don't go to therapy. Or if you go, it's a secret. You don't tell anybody. In, in our friend group today, like my age and, and the, the younger group, if you're not in therapy, like, what's wrong with you, right? You really need to go uh, to therapy. We, we're seeing, we need other people to see. We need, we need the help of other people. The affirmation thing we're looking for on social media, right? Like, somebody tell me I matter. Somebody, you know, comment in. Somebody help me to see. But... Then you meet the children of therapists. I was with one yesterday, right? And they're not so sure about therapists. The one I met yesterday is two parents who are therapists, right? And it could be a bit much. You get a little overanalyzed. Sometimes it's more theoretical than personal. Sometimes it feels like there's kind of an agenda. It can happen. 
And when you get those people, uh, you get to know the people who are watching you on your feed, it gets worse, right? Because then it's like, why aren't they commenting? Why don't they ever like anything? What's their mo- You know, because you know, like, they're, they're kind of suspect because they have their, their biases. And I put out this thing that's a little bit controversial, and they didn't comment. We can't find our way to God or good feelings alone, but who can we trust? Who can bear the weight of our needs? See, John does not present us with a path to God. He doesn't present us with trusted religious leaders. He doesn't. He doesn't give you counselors or role models or even himself. John offers you one thing. God in the flesh, Jesus, who who lived in our neighborhood and continues to live with us eternally and even now. I know it's hard to believe, but it is what we need. For God to take the path to us and find us and tell us who we are and carry us home. And this is the question I I would pose to you and I would encourage you to pose to others. What if, as hard as it is to believe, God did what we needed God to do? Jesus, when he was here, didn't offer a path. He said, I am the way. I am the way. And that can can be a scary thing to say because it sounds kind of exclusive right? But just put, put your Star Wars hat on for a minute. If you're on an exploding planet and one ship comes to rescue you, are you mad about it being one ship? Or do you get on the ship? If there's one medication that will heal you, are you mad at the exclusivity of the medical community? Or are you thankful that there is a medicine that will heal you. If knowing and receiving the love and salvation of God is the only way to know God, will you let your anger stand in the way of receiving it just because it's exclusive? We need a person, not a path. We need a person, not just facts. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we can know our God. Finally, we need Christmas. We need God in the flesh because it's grace. I don't think I have ever observed a time as a culture, and I think I thought I grew up in like evangelical circles, so I saw a lot of standing for the truth and standing for standards and standing for facts, right? I thought I saw a ton of it. But I don't think I've ever seen so much of it culturally as I've seen in the last four or five years. Um, I never thought I'd see the day when Christianity today would condemn someone as immoral and immediately have their story shared by NPR and the New York Times. I never thought I'd see the day. But the aim toward truth can lead to condemnation. And that's the religious-sounding term, but it basically means assigning guilt and punishment. And when you live under guilt and punishment, when the only only principles you live by are truth and morality, then what you do when you struggle, when you sin, when you fail, is you hide and you deny and you don't change. And it feeds the immorality, which is killing us. Our scripture this evening 
said that Jesus came full of two things. He came full of truth, but it says he came full of grace and truth. It says the law came through Moses, and that's the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, and everything that followed. And like I said earlier, that was a good gift from God, but it says the law came through Moses, but we needed more than just the law. We needed grace. And the deepest repentance, like I I described at confession, that thing that makes us turn and change and want to follow somebody is fueled, the Bible says, Paul says in Romans 2, by the kindness of God. Have you ever followed somebody just because they were right? Just because they were right? Maybe we have. Maybe because you have to. But isn't it beautiful when somebody is both right and good? And that's what we have in Jesus. Grace and truth. When Jesus saw someone who the law had condemned, if that person was willing to admit their unworthiness, he was full of mercy. And he bore the cost upon himself for what they deserved. You see him forgiving unbelievable people, prostitutes, people who had you know, been defrauding people for years and years and years, and he just seems to go, no problem. But it wasn't no problem. He was going to bear the cost upon himself, but he was full of mercy. And when people believed that they were righteous, he pushed them to the law so they could learn grace, because he loves us too much to allow our hypocrisy. He combined grace and truth in amazing ways, and that's hard And we need to learn that from Jesus because we need both of those things, costly grace to the repentant and the law to the self-righteous for their good because we love them. The Christmas story is that we've been given all these things, the wisdom of God, a person who understands, and grace combined with truth in the personal, lifelong incarnation of Jesus Christ. So to land the plane. How do we celebrate? How do we celebrate this? How do we celebrate Christmas? How do we celebrate Jesus? Do you, do you see a need for such a God? Are you intrigued? Is your heart stirred? You can just start there. Just see him. Just start there. You don't have to have everything figured out. You can just look and be intrigued and just wonder. Jesus said, if you want to find something, just seek it. If you want a door to be open to you, try knocking on it. Second, trust him. And this is the repentance part. Because God's not information to take in. He's a person to be known. He's a person to be walked with. He's not someone to go, look, there's the truth. You walk with him. You go the other direction. You walk by his side. You try out his ways. You trust him and see what he does. And in that, you'll find he's he's not to be taken advantage of. God's not an ATM. You don't insert, you know, prayer and good deeds and get out whatever you were hoping to get. Jesus is not an ATM. He's not a doormat to be walked on. Grace is not a free pass to do whatever you want. 
where you can just scuff all your dirty stuff on him and do whatever you want. Jesus knows you well enough to not let you do those things. He's not going to be used. He's not going to be walked on, but he would be known and walked with, and he'll love you, and he wants to be leaned upon. So trust him and follow him. Give your life. If Jesus, the way that he came and saved us was he pitched his tent among people who didn't receive him, you will have to do this too. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. There's the families that are tough to love, the friends who see things differently. You may love the poor and hate the rich. You may love the rich and hate the poor. You're probably sent to the ones you don't want to be around. Those we want to avoid, we're often called to be with. Because Jesus pitched his tent, as our scripture said, among those who would not receive him. People who think they're righteous need people in their lives who can lovingly show them that they're not. People who think there's no hope need people in their lives who can lovingly show them that there is. But to follow Jesus, we're going to have to pitch our tent among people that aren't just easy and don't just help us achieve our goals. And following him doesn't solve all your problems but it gives you a trustworthy one to walk with through all the troubles of life. And finally, worship him. In Jesus, we see God. The scripture said, nobody has seen God, but Jesus has made God known to us. And that is a miracle. That's the greatest miracle of it all. More miraculous, perhaps, than the virgin birth. More miraculous than the resurrection is that we can know God. It's incredible. It's hard to wrap your mind around. I think that's why John ended his book on Thomas. I think he was writing this book to people. He knew this was going to be a big sell. This is going to be kind of nuts, that the logic of the universe became flesh and dwelt among us. It's going to be really tough. So then when the risen Christ walks into the, walks into the room and Thomas isn't there and he hears about it and he goes, I'm not convinced. I think John decided to land on him because I think he knew all of his readers would relate. I think we can relate. I think we can relate enough to share it with people who can relate, that it doesn't all just add up and make total sense. But the amazing thing with Thomas is that Jesus went out of his way to personally engage in Thomas's life and show up again and show him his scars and he believed. I was thinking about the, the Christmas story, and I, I tend to think if I'd been there, if I'd seen all this crazy stuff, faith would be so easy for me, right? If I'd seen the virgin birth, except, you know, I wouldn't have seen that. But if I'd seen, you know, any, any of this stuff, like, wow, it, you know, amazing, shepherds and angels, like the heavenly hosts, that would have been really nice. But I was thinking about like these, these wise men for some reason. I thought about them because they showed up, you know, months later or whatever. You know, your nativity set, you should really put the wise men across the room because they weren't there for a little bit. Um, but I was thinking about them and I was thinking about like some of our kids. So we'll just use Ember because he's right over there. So imagine, what's up, Ember? How you doing? So imagine being a wise man 
These, one of these guys, you're a scholar. You're a scholar, right? You, you study, you're an astrologist, you're very smart, and you come into a house, and you're going to worship this kid? Why? It's just, it's just like a house with a family with a kid. And they brought him their gifts, you know, and they worshiped him? This kid is running around or rolling or whatever at the time. You know, I, what, why? I think it's a miracle. I think the fact that they could see this kid in the house and they, they knew that, that something incredible, that God was in the flesh, they didn't, it didn't make 100% sense. They didn't have all the logic and reasoning worked out. God opened up their eyes. He did a miracle. And helped him believe. You know, back in that hotel room, when I was sitting there on the floor watching Boys in the Hood, and I just had my one little honest prayer, where I just said, God, if there's anything you can do, you know, help me out. The next day, I walked into an event where some guy was talking about Jesus. I grew up around all this. I've heard it a million times. But that day, I saw it. It kind of reminds me of what these wise men might have been like. Like they walked in and they, they saw, there was just a kid in the house, but they saw it. They saw like God is here. God is intervening. God is listening. God is doing something. And why that happened for me at that time, I have no idea. But I can tell you honestly that for the first time, I was able to thank God for anything. I was able to thank him for my life. I was able to see the good and what he'd done. Like, it's like pfft, scales fell off. And I was able to worship him. And what I've come away with from thinking about those wise men and myself is this can happen to anybody. It can happen to people who are extremely skeptical. It can happen for us. The wisdom of God came in person and offers real relationship for this life. Costly grace that took him to the cross. Resurrection hope in which he returned and shows us there is more, and it's me. It's not just indescript information between the black holes. It's me. And when he came in the flesh, we got grace and truth. I mean, when he sat down with his disciples, I mean, imagine him standing there with them before he's going to go be crucified. He's walked with them. They've known him for about 33 years. And he takes the bread off the table. Probably every meal they ate had some bread. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And that was an invitation for them to repent. That was an invitation for them to see my life isn't all it should be. My life deserves to be broken and torn apart. But he's saying, this is my body broken for you. And then he offers him grace. He takes the wine. And I mean, this is the drink of celebrations, right? This is the drink of parties. And he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of many. And then he tells him too, I'm not going to drink this again until I drink it with you. Like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait 
to celebrate until you have come to be with me. He offers us grace and truth. I don't know if you believe it. It's hard to believe. It's pretty wild stuff. I'm saying that even in our culture, we need grace. Even in our culture, we know there's a wisdom outside of ourselves. Would you look to Jesus? What if he is who he said he is? And what if Christmas is really as incredible as the Bible says it is? If you can see it, come and receive him by faith.